welcome back to the final week of our 40-minute mental VC series. It's fair to say over the last six months, it's been a really unpredictable and challenging time for the tech and venture ecosystems. Throughout the series, we've already heard some great advice from VCs on how to navigate the current challenging market conditions. Today, for our final bite-sized VC mentorship episode, Rosie Barnett, principal at Denim Ventures, shares her perspective on the current landscape and has some fantastic advice for founders currently fundraising. So for one last time in this series, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this bite-sized episode with the brilliant Rosie Barnett. Wanted to come on to talk about the current VC landscape. It's obviously a turbulent time. It's been challenging from a, a macroeconomic perspective. But we're still seeing lots of people moving into venture, wanting to be VC. So why would you say this is still a really good time to get into VC? Look at history, first and foremost. Look at the aftermath of the dot-com, the financial crisis, 2007-8-9. You look at those periods, only the most necessary and innovative companies are able to survive. But it, it sounds brutal, but it's really a great time to be seeking the most resilient founders, addressing the biggest challenges. Markets, they are cyclical. Yeah, we're going through a, a, a very turbulent time is definitely the right word at the moment. But I think if you look back in 2020, 2021, we saw a huge boom towards the end of this long bull run, crazy high valuations, crazy, crazy rounds that were getting done. I think really what's happening now is we're just reverting back to the mean I believe, rather than entering a real downturn. Other investors may disagree with me, but I think I'm I'm ever the optimist, if that's not clear already. So I think it's a really great time. If you want to learn how to be a disciplined investor and to really be able to hunt down the best founders and the best opportunities, and also, you know, a great time to be doing venture building as well, because when you see that there's a, an opportunity in the market, there's not quite so many startups around at the moment because it's, it is a tough time to get going and it's a tough time to get funded. It depends on what you're looking for, but in terms of a time to learn very quickly and have to learn how to be really efficient and selective, also learn how to give really good support to your founders because they need it more than ever at the moment. So I think it's a great time to be starting out as a VC. And I think also there's a lot of lessons being learned by people who've been in the industry a long time, but we do know this goes in cycles, and I think we are just in a, a bit of a hectic time in one of those cycles at the moment. So I would still say it's still a great time to, to go into the industry, and we need people who really value selecting the very best. I love your optimism, and not to temper that at all, but we always want to also bring realism, pragmatism. Yes, be honest about the harder parts of the job. So on that note, currently, as an investor in what is being largely seen as a challenging market, what would you say is the hardest part of your role as an investor right now? Definitely seeing that market correction impact the companies and the teams and, and the customers they serve. Whilst I do believe that it needed to happen and it was inevitable that we would have this correction, it's still really tough to see teams who have poured everything into an industry, everything into an idea, into their work, maybe for many years in some cases that just aren't quite meeting the bar for whatever reason to get funded, especially in specific problem areas which are really ripe for disruption from tech, innovation, generative AI. You know, these are still people with teams and lives and, and families in many cases. So I find that really difficult seeing, yeah, seeing those entrepreneurs struggle where 
you just know that two years ago they would have had no absolutely no problem getting funded. However, you know, I still do believe that most resilient will prevail and the best ideas will prevail. And sometimes in life, if something isn't working, it might be time to go back to basics and think how could we pivot or how could we come up with um, you know, a new strategy or adaption to our strategy, which actually makes us able to cope in the longer to medium to longer term here. I do believe that many of the best companies will still get through this, but it's, it doesn't make it any easier when you see teams that are, that are struggling, having to make layoffs, et cetera. So particularly when you've come from the startup world and you've maybe been through similar cycles or seen those cycles happen from the inside, I think it helps you to be supportive and empathic with your teams that you support. It's really tough. And um, I don't think that gets any easier, even with lots of experience. No, definitely not. And look, as, as somebody that's lived and breathed the ups and downs of entrepreneurial life and is part of a founders group, it is really difficult to see just great people with great businesses just being impacted often by things that are outside of their control. That's the risk you take when you go into entrepreneurship. And I think, you know, hopefully having more operators in VC, ex-founders going into VC, there'll be even more empathy for that. Uh, and hopefully we can see uh, you know, great businesses still continue to thrive and uh, people not being put off by the, the harder aspects of it. What exciting trends have you seen uh, over the last few months? And are there any particular industries that you're particularly excited about at, at present? And obviously, we're saying this to you as you have a very specific sector, but keen to hear a bit more about, you know, what's making you jump out of bed in the morning. Well, particularly starting with you know, my, my day-to-day and, and what I'm really excited about specifically with Delin, definitely cell therapy. So this is an area where these are treatments for conditions like cancers and other massively important conditions that affect millions of people worldwide that to date we have some treatments for, but there's huge need for advancement and innovation, particularly as these conditions are getting more and more prevalent. So we've seen huge success in the pharma world for you know, drugs like Yes, Carter, which treats a blood cancer. Sentiment is quite low in the market right now. Difficult time. These treatments are really, really expensive. So I think time is really ripe for new innovations to come forward. This is definitely an area that, that we at Delon are really looking at in great detail. Areas that are also not really addressed by the current therapy. So we don't really have any treatments that in this area that are approved that treat solid cancers like a lung cancer or a breast cancer, for example. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen here in the next couple of years. A bit more broad. So I also am really passionate about better social care. So looking after those in society who aren't necessarily, don't have great access to care. So the elderly, people who are disabled or find it hard to leave their homes. And so there's companies like Serica, who I've admired for a long time. I think their founder is absolutely incredible and they're addressing this very specific and quite unsexy market from a tech perspective, but it's a huge opportunity. It's a great need that with an aging population, it's only getting you know, more and more relevant to all of us day to day. So, you know, some of the results they've achieved have been absolutely incredible. And, and they also have a, a model that really empowers carers as well. So those that actually provide that you know, physical services to people in that home. So that's really exciting for me. And I think there's a, a lot of space for others to other players to emerge there as well in different markets too. And then thirdly, I think we've seen some incredible advancements and hope for people who suffer from obesity and struggle to manage their weight. We've seen some medications approved this year that really help people to address that. And I think this is only the start of what I believe is going to be a revolution in this area and really helping to support 
billions of people worldwide that are suffering with with struggling to manage their weight and, and with diabetes and pre-diabetes. So I think in terms of quality of life for the world at large, those are three areas which are being so, so exciting. And then non-healthcare related, we've seen this incredible inflation reduction act trying to help boost and invest into the clean energy sector in the US. I think we've got a long way to go to actually see that materialize. It's you know, vital for, for us on the planet that we really see advancements in those areas. So I'm really excited to follow that. And then lastly, I think there's been some really interesting conversations recently about governing artificial intelligence and trying to understand how should we as humans be looking at these technologies and, and integrating them into business ideas and opportunities. I think we charged forward at 100 miles an hour and now we're, we're going through a really vital time in our history where we need to look at you know, how do we regulate these? How do we make sure that there are good actors that are kind of in charge of setting the, the rules that govern these systems? I think we've seen some really amazing steps forward in this, but it's a huge area that needs addressing by governments, policymakers, and companies alike. I think we should see in tech companies and companies that are using these technologies, you should have teams who are responsible for governing the way in which they use them. It's not that common today, and I'm really looking forward to Hopefully seeing that become much more common over time. Awesome to hear about so many exciting areas you can all get excited about and benefit from some of the topics you touched upon there are probably impacting many people's, whether it's friends, families, uh, individuals that are listening to this. So always good to hear about things moving in the right direction there and hopefully lots of incredible startups that we'll hear about in the months and years ahead. What advice do you have for any founders listening who are currently raising? How can they cut through the noise and really grab your attention? Number one, do your research on funds that have dry powder. And by that, I mean funds that still have capital in their fund reserve to allocate. So there are quite a lot of funds that are fully deployed. So that just means they've used up all the, the cash, the money that they've allocated, that they've raised in a certain time period. So they've already invested that into companies. And particularly because of 2020, 2021, and some of the crazy valuations, that's quite a lot more common now than it has been in previous cycles. So look into that, try to figure out those which you know have potentially got funds to support you at this time. I think that's the number one thing that I would say. And um, because those that have already made pretty big investments at high valuations are looking at this turbulent time and thinking we need to make sure that those investments survive to the point where they're going to make our fund return back for us. So that's really, really critical. It's not that easy to figure out, but again, it comes back to being really resourceful and trying to figure out how to get access to VCs in your sector and be able to have honest conversations with them. So I think that's the number one thing I would say. Secondly, but this you know, this applies always, but just be really, really targeted with your messaging and your materials. So you'd be amazed at how lack of clarity in terms of materials that VCs get sent is still quite prevalent. I think it's easy to get bogged down in being so involved in your day-to-day -day business. You sort of forget that you need to be able to explain it at a very, very high level to just get people really excited and engaged, even if they're not specialist investors in your area. Because often you need to be a little bit more creative now in figuring out those funds that do have that capital at the moment available to support you. So I think, you know, your initial deck or whatever material is you choose to send should be super clear, really succinct, maximum 10 slides, make it as professional as you can. I would recommend investing a bit in the sort of design look and feel of that and just make sure that basic things like spelling, grammar, your numerical 
um, inputs and statistics are all completely correct and you've had other people validate them that don't necessarily sit within your immediate team. Also, I would say, again, over the optimist, anticipate success. So be prepared with an organized, confidential pitch or, you know, the next level of materials that you want to share with your investors beyond that initial kind of teaser or information pack or one page or whatever it is you choose to send initially. Think ahead. I mean, the, the next stage might be the whole team of the, the fund, if they're really excited by your idea, coming onto a call and they expect you to be able to address, you know, the questions that they have. So make it really easy for them, you know, have something you can share immediately, which captures attention, is really professional, represents your company and your team in the best possible light, rather than introducing the barrier of like having to sign a non-disclosure agreement straight away. I think it's, it's really, really effective if you can provide as much context as you can, just enough to get that investor really excited to an investor that has funds at the moment to support you and is actively hunting new deals. And I think if you're able to do those three things, you will have a great chance of, of getting investment. Great advice, Rosie. Really hope that's useful to anyone that's currently out and about trying to raise money. When they get in a room with you, tick one, they've obviously done all the things you just advised. Are there any particular do's and don'ts, maybe just a couple that founders need to just consider when they're in a room pitching uh, to try and secure that investment? The number one thing you need to be able to convey, and this is a personal thing, but I think it is passion for your problem that you're addressing. You need to be able to convince somebody within minutes, seconds even, that you will run through any wall that is in your in your way, including you know addressing this turbulent time at the moment, in order to create an amazing business that's going to be able to address the challenges that you are trying to figure out. So I think that's the number one thing. You know, if you can't convey passion in that moment, when can you? And we're all different. Not everybody's an extrovert. Not everybody is you know super gregarious. But I think you can convey that through professionalism of your materials, sort of concision with which you're able to address the problem and talk about it in non-technical language such that people can really understand very quickly what, specifically what it is that you are working on and bringing to the table. I think that also links to trust. So you need to be able to form a level of trust with those investors straight away. And that might also be over a call. So do practice, you know, have practices with your team, practices with your family, practices with your friends, so that you are able to build that rapport and you, you understand how to do that. And you're not thinking too much about the actual materials. You have that so well trained in your head that you're able to be dynamic and adaptive to the specific team and form that bond and form that relationship. It comes back to something you mentioned earlier, which is the early stage investor is going to invest in your company. This is a potentially 10 plus year relationship that you're building. So that side of it is just as important as being able to convey, you know, the specifics of your actual business itself. Also, the relationship building piece comes back to, is this founder or are these founders or this team going to be able to bring other people on the journey with them and convince the best of the best to join that early stage startup and leave potentially a really stable job at a large company that's much more well-known and holds a certain amount of prestige associated with it. There's a magic in that founder market fit that it's not too common. And, and I think remembering your core reason for why you're doing this, I've tended to focus on all the things you should do because I, I just think that's the right way to approach these meetings. It's going to be nerve wracking. It's, you know, investors are often nervous to meet founders as well because we want to make a good impression and we want to be meeting the best people and, and providing the most value to them as well. So I think if you do all of those things and take a deep breath, you're yourself, you represent your company as best you can, and then 
whatever happens, make sure you politely and in a constructive way always ask for feedback. Not everyone will take the time to give it to you, but what you do learn from that will help you iterate super quickly and make sure that you're just getting better and better as you go with your pitching. Great advice, Rosie. Thank you so much. And looking at it the positive way around is definitely the way to go, I think. So I'm sure that advice will be uh, listened to and hopefully implemented. And you may even have people listening to this reference it when they win lots of investment off you and the Dellen team. So hopefully that's the case. Final question. Obviously, the VC landscape has evolved a lot in recent years. And I think we're seeing a bit more of a realistic representation of society amongst types of faces we are seeing in in VC, but I'm sure we both agree that there is still a lot more work to be done to make the industry as a whole more diverse and inclusive. So what else do you think, and I guess speaking as a woman in an investing role, which um, hasn't always been uh, the easiest thing to achieve, what else do you think needs to happen and how can funds attract more diverse investors? I guess, particularly from your perspective, for anyone that's listening to this, there might be a woman that wants to work in VC, but maybe has been running up against some, you know, brick walls. What's your advice? Something I've been seeing a lot more of recently, which is super encouraging, is VC funds, but also private equity and and others in the industry that are actively seeking to provide reports on specifically diversity. So got a lot of questionnaires in my LinkedIn inbox recently, which I find super encouraging. That that never happened, you know, five to ten years ago. Just didn't exist. You know, how online we are now really, really helps with that. But I'm really excited to see where that goes in terms of putting data behind these kind of statistics that we that we look at and keeping that really up to date and doing this anonymously, interviewing or asking questions of VCs and people who want to be VCs themselves. So those reports I think are really valuable and also they're often findable online for free. So really, really useful and just represents that sentiment shift, which I think is absolutely critical. Secondly is for VCs themselves who are in teams looking to hire other VCs, having a set of policies and benefits or mainly policies associated with the job, which to make it really easy for people like women to join your team. So for example, having a maternity policy, even if you don't have any women in your team, and recognizing that couples these days choose to split childcare in many different ways and being able to be open to facilitate that. I think also I've seen another really encouraging trend, which is wider access programs, which are paid. So these are internships at VC funds and where you can join with no VC experience. And they often advertise these on LinkedIn and online pretty widely. So you can, anybody can apply. And I think they are obviously super competitive, but again, this just didn't exist. I mean, you either a few years ago would have had a connection of one of the senior partners, you know, one of their kids or one of their friends who who could just come into the office and do an internship and often it wouldn't be paid. Or you would have unpaid opportunities or sort of brief projects that you could do with funds. And I think there's a lot of work going on trying to address this gap of entry to the industry or at least getting some exposure to the industry. Being really upfront as well about expectations from both sides. If you are looking to join a team of three people, they are going to have pretty specific criteria of what they expect and, and how they want to build out that team. So for example, if they all work remotely, it's unlikely you're going to get a lot of face time um, with the team. So I think being really clear on not just the actual kind of specific sectoral type of investing or work you'll be doing, but also how you're going to be doing that. Are you going to be expected to travel 
once a week, once a fortnight? Are you going to be expected to be in the office every day? Or are you do you have a hybrid working arrangement? So I think people pre-pandemic were a bit nervous to ask about this, but I think you should just be really clear. And then it helps you to, frankly, not waste your own time, but also not waste the, the team's time as well. And then I would say as well, VCs themselves paying it forward. So it's really important to try and find time to mentor or, you know, if you're super influential and, and really busy, like take Mark Andreessen, you know, he writes these incredible long form articles. It's not that he, could probably, he probably can't mentor everybody that would want his mentorship, but I think it's, there's different degrees of it and trying to build some sort of content or presence where people know that they can access you for specific kinds of outreach or advice is, is also, I think we all owe it to each other really. I mean, at one point we were all trying to get into the industry some more recently than others. So I think it's really critical that we remember that and we try to find ways to you know, use our time to, to support others. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, your advice is super helpful, not only because you have got that operator to VC experience, but also just you're the sort of person having worked with you before that, that just really wants to pay it forward in general and benefits and thrives off mentorship, but also pays it forward as a mentor. So it's been a real pleasure having you come on the podcast to share your story and your learnings so honestly and openly with us all. So Thank you so much from all of us at JBM and the 40 Minute Mental team. And I have no doubt that your mentorship will be hugely valuable to anyone else sort of making this move. Or if anyone else is maybe struggling with that, making that jump, I'm sure your words of wisdom will be super helpful. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have, then don't forget to subscribe and follow JBM on LinkedIn for even more mentorship and insights. That's all for me today, but I hope you'll tune in on Wednesday for our final episode in this series. I can tell you, it'll be a really good one. See you then.